Good morning, I'm Ken Chamberlain, and uh, my wife and I moved here about a year and a half ago from Missouri, and so uh, we're still getting the hang of being Californians, but we love it. We have a, a grandson and a granddaughter in near Sacramento in Auburn, California, and then we have a daughter and son-in-law and a grandchild here in Ventura, and that's the reason we moved, and we've been trying to get here for a long time, and we finally got a job here, so <laughs> uh, we are glad, very glad to be with y'all, and we uh, looked for a church for a while, and we were very, very glad to find this one. Y'all have been, uh, just from the very get-go, have been very open and very kind and very accepting, and appreciate all of y'all, and, and certainly Pastor and Paige have been wonderful, and uh, good to be with you this morning. I want to uh, read you uh, about eight verses from Romans chapter 14. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, Paul was uh, highly educated and highly traveled and a very intelligent, very sharp man. And, and uh, he wrote, like I said, two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's a real theologian. He knew his, he knew his stuff. Uh, he, the New Testament says that he studied under the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the top Jewish rabbi at the time. And he taught Paul. Paul was one of his star students. And one of the best things Paul wrote was the book of Romans. Uh, Romans is thick. Romans is heavy. <laughs> Romans, you don't, you don't wade through in an afternoon. Uh, and I want to read a few verses out of Romans chapter 14. Uh, we do have the, the uh, Bibles in the pews. Uh, I'm going to read from the NIV, New International Version. It should sound pretty similar to this if you have another version. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allow him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak only eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him both. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and also gives thanks to the Lord. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for this uh, wonderful church and these wonderful people, and we ask that you'll bless us this morning as we uh, try to uh, discuss the word of truth uh, together and study it together in your presence and grace. Amen. My theme this morning is, uh, is life hacks for Christians. If you have any, if you waste any time at all on social media like I do, you, uh, you'll run into videos all the time with life hacks. And life hacks is a video will say something like, I've been tying my shoes wrong all my life. Or, or I've always been emptying the trash can wrong. And it, basically, it's normally it's uh, somebody that's young that has discovered a, a new way to wash a car, a new way to scrub a floor or something like that. And, and they're called life hacks. And I'm going to kind of hack that term and, and say uh, life hacks uh, from the Apostle Paul for Christians today. And very simple, and I hope everybody, uh, uh, even, even the youngest children, can understand all this today. I, that was my hope and my intent. This passage in uh, Romans 14 is powerful, and uh, it's very simple. 
Number one, God, uh, Paul says, uh, as Christians, don't argue over that which is non-essential. Don't argue as Christians over the non-essentials. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, don't pass judgment over disputable matters. Chapter 14, verse 2 and 3 says, uh, there's, there's arguments in the church he was writing to as a church in Rome. And he listed two examples, and they, they seem very modern to us. There were people in the church in Rome that were arguing over whether you should be a vegetarian or not, and there were arguments. If I can, if you want me to move the mic or something, I can. I'm not used to doing that. <laughs> okay. The, the people in the Church of Rome had two arguments going on there, and you can see them reflected there in Paul. One of them was that there were vegetarians in the church, and they were kind of suggesting if you're not vegetarian, you're really not a real Christian. And the other folks were saying they weren't vegetarians, and they said, you know, it didn't have anything to do with our diet. And part of this comes out of the, out of the idea that they, that they were Jewish, and Jewish, have, Jewish people have very strong uh, dietary restrictions. And so some of them were Jewish, some of them were not, and so there are arguments in the church that Paul was writing to over what proper diet was. And then the other argument that we see in chapter 14 is arguing over special days uh, other than the Sabbath. And what was going on there, the, the Jewish people in the church, and, and the, the first Christians were Jews, uh, the Jewish people had always gone to service on Saturday. And the new Christians were starting to worship on Sunday because, uh, the, because the Lord rose on Sunday. And we don't always make this real clear. Uh, I'm a hospital chaplain at Community Memorial Hospital, and one of the other chaplains is a Seventh-day Adventist. And he goes to church on Sunday, uh, excuse me, on Saturday. Uh, he's, a, he's a Christian, he's an elder in their church. But uh, it's the contention of the Seventh-day Adventist church that uh, God set up services for Saturday. Go ahead. Is that better? Better or worse? Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So uh, they uh, they said that God set up a service on Saturdays, which was true for the Jews, and, and then the Christians started worshiping on Sundays, and uh, and basically there, these arguments were going on in the church there in Rome, and 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 Paul says, hey, don't argue over non-essentials. That doesn't really matter. That has nothing. That doesn't have a lot to do with your Christian faith. So so don't argue over that. I want to share with you a little Nazarene history. You may know this, uh, and I'm very proud of this, and this is something to be proud of if you haven't heard this before. A lot of churches, a lot of especially evangelical churches, were started by a bunch of people in a church or in a denomination getting angry or irritated and separating themselves and splitting and going starting another church. And there's an awful lot of churches, ladies and gentlemen, in Ventura, California, that used to be part of other churches. <laughs> and uh, and we didn't start that way. The, the, the history of the Church of the Nazarene has a remarkable difference. And you, if you haven't heard this, this is really important and you need to know this. The way the Nazarene Church started in the early 1900s, there were a lot of people that no longer felt comfortable in their own churches. They had been expelled, they'd been told they didn't belong there anymore, their, their theology wasn't right. And in the beginning of the 1900s are what we call the American Holiness Movement. And there were people from the Methodist Church, and from the Episcopal Church, and from, and from the Baptist Churches, and the, and the others like that. And they were feeling that they were Christians, they wanted to worship, but they didn't feel comfortable in their, in their own churches. And so in the beginning of the 1900s, a bunch of people came together, came together <laughs> to form the Church of the Nazarene. That's radically different than so many other churches that we know about, so many other churches you see, you'll see on the corners on the way home. And I think we need to be very proud of the fact that we are not a church that splintered. We are not a church that split off. We're not a church that started with an argument. 
We are a church that came together with a bunch of, of, of different people and different faiths and different traditions and, and what, how they did that, and the only way you can do that is they said, hey, what are the core beliefs that we believe, that we have to believe as, as Christians? What are the core beliefs that we can agree on? What are the core beliefs that we can accept? And those became what the Nazarene Church called the 16 Articles of Faith. If you've gone through a, uh, a if you've gone through a, a membership class with Pastor, uh, either either Pastor Aaron or before that, you've you've gone through the Articles of Faith, and they are th simple things like we believe in Jesus, we believe in God, we believe in heaven, we believe in hell, we believe in eternity, and so they said, let's lay aside all of those peripheral issues. Let's let's lay aside all those things we argue over. Let's let's lay aside all those things that people fight over. What can we accept together as core to the Christian faith? That we, can, that we can assemble a church together, and that is part of the history of the Church of the Nazarene. And really, you ought to be very proud of that. I, have, I am very proud of that, and, and because we are a collection, and because we have decided these things we hold true and these things aren't quite as important, you, will, you probably have never seen, and I hopefully you will never see, uh, a statement from the Church of the Nazarene telling you how to vote, suggesting a political party because that we don't think is clearly stated in scripture <laughs> and i don't expect a whole lot of amens on that but but this is this is one of those things that we feel are peripheral issues another example uh an awful lot of people have gotten very popular and have made an awful lot of money writing books about the end times fighting over premillennialism, post-millennialism all this other stuff all these other words you don't need to worry about the Nazarenes have never produced a book, as far as I'm aware, stating an official position on the end times because, frankly, we don't think the Bible is very clear about that. So, once again, Paul says, don't argue over the non-essentials. If we believe in Christ, if we believe in, in serving Christ, if we believe in following Christ, if we believe in things like sin and salvation and, and loving each other and taking care of each other and supporting and and doing things like wonderful things like this church does, like, like supporting the local schools and supporting the local the folks that need, need socks for the homeless. That, those are things that are important. Those are things that we can agree on. And so Paul says, lay those other things aside. Don't argue over the non-essentials. My father was a pastor all my life, and, and uh, there was a man in his church uh, that pretty regularly made my dad feel pretty lousy. He was a member of the church board. He, he thought it was his job to tell the pastor of the church, how to run the church, and I've made, I've made it very clear to Aaron that I don't have any fantasy or desire or plan whatsoever to ever tell him how to run this church. This is Aaron's church, and, and you're, his, you're his church people, and, uh, but this man really thought it was his job to, 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 to correct my father and to have the pastor of the church to tell him what to do and how to do it and what to say and what not to say, and dad uh, felt that he should listen to God more than he should listen to, to this man. And so he ignored him pretty regularly. And one time in board meeting, this man stood up and he said, Pastor, I will split this church down the middle if I have to. And he walked out of the board meeting. And uh, I heard about that a few years later. And folks, let me tell you, that not only is not Nazarene history, that's not Christian. Amen? What's important are the essentials of faith. <laughs> Paul says, ignore that other stuff. Sit that aside. An example of whether you're a vegetarian or not, he said, that's, that's fascinating. I, I, that's great. Uh, whatever you believe about that, that's fine. But it doesn't have anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
uh, whether you whether you have special days or, or observe special days for the church in Rome, that's important stuff. That's interesting, but it has nothing to do with our salvation. The manual statement of the Church of the Nazarene on Scripture uh, says we believe that the, that this Bible contains everything necessary for our salvation, <laughs> and we lay aside the others. So number one, don't argue over non-essentials. Number two, oh, actually, and then chapter 14, verse 22, I was going to mention, this is interesting. This is an exact quote from the New, An New International Version. It says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. You know, that's not a, that's not a, that's not a reinterpreted, that's not a reinterpreted version. That's exactly what, exactly what it says. <laughs> so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Number one, don't argue over non-essentials. Number two, number two, don't try to do God's job. Chapter 14, verse 12 says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So in other words, there will be a time when you and I will account ourselves, will give ourselves an account of ourselves before God, but that's God's job. When I was in seminary, I was attending a church. I won't tell you which one it was because you, you never know in a church like this if you might re be related to who the pastor was at the time. <laughs> but, uh, those of y'all that have some Nazarene history, but I was attending this church, uh, Nazarene church in, in seminary, and, and I love the church, I love the pastor. But uh, one Sunday morning, he, he uh, held up the manual of the Church of the Nazarene, and, and it's a little black book, and, and it's, not, it's not what we preach from. It's the, not supposed to be. It's, it's the Jeshali it's the articles, and the, uh, it's basically the administration, the management of the church, how we, how we appoint pastors, and that sort of thing. And the pastor of the church held this up, and he says, this is not just a, a guidebook, it's, it's rules. It, it, this is a book of rules. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, and, but you know, he was the pastor, and I was just a second-year seminary student. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, who, who am I to disagree with this man that you know, has already been through this? But I, I, no, it, 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 the, the book it's, itself says it's, it's not the Bible. We, we have one Bible. We have, we have a Bible that we use as a Bible. But... But the manual of the Church of the Nazarene is a great, a great source, but it's not the Bible. And, and the Bible says, don't try to do God's job. You'll like this. Uh, writer Max Lucado said this, Christ is the door, and you're not the screen door. And neither am I. Let's do that again. <laughs> Christ is the door, and you're not the screen door, and neither am I. I heard that years ago, and that still gives me shivers. It's, it's, it's not our job to decide who gets in, amen? It's, it's, uh, it's God's job. So don't, don't try to do God's job. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. And, and I know uh, good evangelicals, you know, the, you know the, the response to that for most of us evangelicals, right? I'm not judging, I'm just checking their fruit, you know? That's, that, that, that's an out. Uh, the Bible says... Don't argue on over non-essentials. Don't try to do God's job. Again, Paul was Jewish, and, and the people he was working with were Jewish, and they came out of the Jewish tradition, Jewish Old Testament. And, and the Pharisees, and by the way, Paul was a Pharisee. Uh, you remember that Jesus had some pretty <laughs> negative things to say about the Pharisees at times. But, but Paul was a Pharisee, and Paul was a good Pharisee. And, and uh, one, thing Paul, one thing that Paul, excuse me, that the Pharisees did was they called building a fence around the law. And uh, I'll explain that briefly, and then, and then uh, my opinion is that we kind of still do that sometimes in the church. Uh, the law was, was the Old Testament, uh, specifically uh, the first five books of the Old, of the Old Testament, and, and very specifically the Ten Commandments. And so, 
So Jewish followers of God wanted to be sure that they, that they kept the Ten Commandments. They didn't break the Ten Commandments. So they, they thought, you know, the best way to make sure we don't break the Ten Commandments is to kind of pack, the pack around the Ten Commandments a bunch of smaller commandments. So, for example, if it says, uh, if, if the scripture says, uh, honor the Sabbath to keep it holy, which it does say, well, how do we do that? To be sure that we don't dishonor the Sabbath, let's develop some, some guidelines on what we do on the Sabbath and what we don't do. Well, we don't walk too far, we don't work, we don't, uh, we don't demand a whole lot from our, from our slaves on that day. And so you start with one commandment of, of not breaking the Sabbath, and you add about 10 to it. And by the time Christ came along, the Pharisees had put together over 600 laws packed around the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and again, the idea, the hope, was we don't want to break the Ten Commandments, so we packed all this other stuff around them. So if you didn't, if you didn't mess up, if you didn't break all these laws, then you certainly would never get to the heart of breaking the Ten Commandments. But when Jesus came along, he said, that, this isn't at all what God had in mind. This isn't what God had in mind. God, God, God didn't want you following into little, little silly rules like how far you could walk on, on the Sabbath and what you could eat on the Sabbath and what, what you could say on the Sabbath. And those of you all that are my age and older, remember that the manual of the Church of Nazarene when I was young said that on Sunday you weren't supposed to read any secular literature. Does anybody remember that? Does anybody hear that? <laughs> How about that? We got two or three back there. Literally, I mean, when I was in high school, the, every, every four or eight years we have a new manual, but when I was a kid, the manual says we don't read any secular literature on Sundays. Well, that sounds to me a little bit like packing things around the law, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but, but so, so Paul says, don't, don't argue over non-essentials. Don't, don't try to do God's job. And uh, the uh, quote from Anne Lamont, I want you to see this. This is, uh, I'm going to let you read that. Somebody sent me that about 10 years ago. And folks, I haven't really gotten past that yet. That's not scripture, but that's really close. <laughs> that is... That, that just kind of turns me inside out. <clears throat> I don't want to create God in my image. I want to be created in God's image. And there's a big difference. Amen? There's a big difference. So don't argue over non-essentials. Don't try to do God's job. Number three, don't put obstacles in your brother's path. Chapter 14, verse 13 says, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacles in your brother's way. Again, when I grew up Nazarene, and, and uh, let me see the hands again of people that when you were going to church, uh, you were not allowed to go to movies. Anybody? One, two, how about that? We got a few back there. <laughs> now, now, if you're pastor Aaron's age or younger, you'll find this scandalous. What? Are, are you kidding? <laughs> but no, there, there, were, there were rules in the Nazarene church. We don't go to movies uh, because the people that make movies are evil people. I think it's hilarious now that I now live an hour and a half from the people that make those movies. <laughs> this is, God has a good sense of humor. We don't always appreciate it, but, <laughs> but I think it's funny that, that now I live an hour and a half from the, from the movie factory. Uh, interesting uh, that God, God has brought us here. Um, and we didn't go to theaters. Uh, we, didn't, we weren't supposed to go to pool halls because, you know, horrible things happen in pool halls and, and all of these things. And, and as, as, as I was growing up as a pastor's kid, 
Uh, I started noticing in junior high that all my friends were going to movies and I couldn't. I was a preacher's kid and the preacher's kid can't go to movies because we promised we wouldn't when we joined the church. And so uh, being a typical preacher's kid, I bristled at that and, and I said, Why, what's the idea behind that? What's the reasoning behind that? That makes no sense. And, and, and here is the argument that I was given when I was in junior high. Uh, why, and, and of course the joke is, well, why can't I go see Bambi? Now, I'll be honest, in junior high I had no desire to see Bambi, but I did want to see Patton, which I thought was, looked pretty good about the time when I was in high school. But why can't I go see Bambi? And the answer is, from the church, but predominantly my mom and dad, is it's not that Bambi's wrong, it's that if you go, if, if somebody out there sees you go to Bambi, then they will say, Ken, the pastor's son, thinks it's okay to go see a movie, therefore it's okay if I go see a, a bad movie. And I said, that, that, that reasoning just doesn't, hold, that just doesn't hold water, it doesn't make sense, but, well, you are our son, and we are pastoring this church, and we have promised not to, and, and so we don't. Um, <laughs> and that was called the stumbling block argument. Because if, I, if, I, if somebody sees me sinning, if somebody sees me doing something like that, then I become a stumbling block to them. And they, they feel that they can do something because they saw me do something. Uh, we had the reverse of that when, when my wife and I were raising our, our kids in our church in, in Missouri. Uh, we, had a real, we had a son and a daughter, still do, and, and, uh, and Heather was, was, was nice and, and kind and, and compliant, but our son bristled against being a pastor's kid and, and, and hated going to church and hated going to Sunday school. And, and we had to decide sometime in our high school years, do we, do we, do we force our kids to go to Sunday school or do we not? And uh, again, uh, we're the, you know, I'm pastor of the church, and, and if we don't make Joshua go to church or don't make him go to Sunday school, then all the other people in the church are going to say, well, the pastor's son doesn't go to Sunday school. Why should my kids go to Sunday school? <laughs> but then on the other hand, if we forced him to go to Sunday school, then he will disrupt the, disrupt the class. And, and so again, it's that stumbling block thing, and, and it's, 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 it's irritating. And Paul says, that's not what God has in mind for us. That's not why Jesus came for us. So don't I'll put obstacles in your brother's path. In chapter 14, verse 14, Paul was talking again about the, uh, about the, uh, the uh, folks in the church that ate or didn't eat meats. And he said, I'll eat anything you bring to me, but if it causes somebody else to stumble, I won't do it. In other words, I... Paul says, I, I'll eat just about anything. Now, they did follow the kosher diet, but he said, I, I don't mind eating meat. But if somebody in the church, if a Christian in the church feels that, that it's wrong to eat meat and they see me eat that, therefore, I might become a stumbling block to them and I would hinder their faith. And Paul says, if I'm being seen, if I'm eating with somebody, I would rather not eat that at all than to become a stumbling block to their Christian faith. So don't put... Uh, obstacles in your brother's path. Chapter 14, verse 20, I won't do anything that weakens somebody else's faith. There was another man in my father's church, and uh, he treated my father well, and, and I, liked, I liked this man. And he said that he worked in a place, he worked in a government job, and, and they had parties all the time where there were uh, alcohol flowed freely after hours, and, and uh, he didn't believe in drinking, so he said, he said, when I go to these parties, uh, everybody has a red plastic cup and, and they have their drinks in it. And I said, I don't drink anything at those parties. I, I, don't, even, I don't carry a cup around. I said, why? 
he said, well, if I have a red plastic cup and everybody sees me with a red plastic cup, they don't know what's in my cup. <laughs> so just so nobody else would think, he said, I'm trying to be a man of faith. I'm trying to follow the, 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 the guidelines of my faith. He said, rather than, than having somebody else say, well, we're all drinking here and including this guy, he said, well, I just won't drink anything because he tried so hard to not be a stumbling block to anybody else. Like it or not, Christians, we are being watched. I don't like that. You don't like that. But we're being watched. I don't like being reminded of that, and I'm, I apologize for reminding you of that, and your pastor has reminded you that occasionally too since I've been here, so I'm not alone. We are being watched. There are people that want to know how does a Christian talk? How does a Christian walk? What does a Christian do? What does a Christian eat? Where does a Christian go? And it's not fair and it's irritating to have to worry about that, but Paul says we do sometimes have to worry about that because Paul says if we're Christians, especially if we've been Christians a long time, there are people that are watching us and we need to be sure we're not a stumbling block to their faith. So don't argue over non-essentials. Don't try to do God's job. Don't put obstacles in your path. And uh, those are all negatives. I apologize for that. But so positively, what should we do? And this is last. It says in chapter 15, verse 1, that the strong should help the weak. In other words, older Christians, not meaning older in age, but those Christians have been Christians for a long time. You've been through some of these issues. Try to help those that are newer to the faith. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you see somebody struggling, you see somebody that doesn't understand, somebody that doesn't, doesn't completely understand why we do things or why, how, or help them. The stronger Christians, Paul says, should help the weaker Christians, should try to encourage them in their faith, to try to get them stronger, to become more like followers of Jesus Christ. There's a tough verse in James 4:17 that says, if you know the right thing to do it, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that is sin. James is the only one in the Bible that I'm aware of that says that. Paul spends a lot of his time saying, don't do that because it's sin. But James says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, <laughs> that's sin too. <laughs> and that's tough. That's tough. But that's in the book of James. And we do know as Christians, there are some times, there are some things, there are some situations, there are some, some events that we know are, are the wrong thing to do. And, and if we don't speak up, if we don't say something, then in some sense we're sinning as well. It's a classic Christian belief that we don't allow evil to go unchecked if we have any control over it. And to be honest, a lot of, a lot of protests and a lot of pol political fights and things like that are just that. There are people that feel that there is an evil here that needs to be addressed. And in the name of Jesus Christ, as a person of faith, I can't stand and watch this happen. I can't watch this go on. I need to protest. I need to scream. I need to yell. I need to vote, whatever I need to do. Because as a Christian, as a person of faith, I am called upon to, to witness by saying something that, that is going on I need to stand against. I do want to give you all a compliment. As Californians, uh, we've been here just a little while. Y'all are, uh, are a whole lot better at this uh, kind of thing about not arguing over non-essentials non uh, than some in the Midwest that we came from. 
the, the, the feeling in California seems to be, if it, you know, if it, if, it, if it works for you, great. You know? <laughs> and I, this is wonderful. I, my wife and I have, uh, have, have not experienced this much in our lives. We, we, uh, we love the Midwest, and we spent you know, most of our lives in the Midwest, but, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot more judgmental attitudes uh, where we've come from. And, and we're here in California, and the, and the feeling really seems to be here more, uh, more uh, you know, hey, uh, uh, you know, follow follow Christ and don't bother me. You know, follow Christ and, and don't don't tell me what I need to do. And because if you truly are following Christ, Christ tells you what to do, right? God tells you what to do. Scripture tells us. About six years ago, uh, there were there was a, a line of fifteen men, all running to be president of the United States. And uh, I'm going to be light on this because I told you that we don't discuss this kind of thing. So I'm just going to kind of give you a, a, a historical example. There were 15 men. Do you remember that about six years ago? There were literally 15 guys that all wanted to be president. Do you remember that? There were, there were debates. There's two or three debates and 15 guys all in 15 microphones. And, and I watched some of those debates until I thought I was going to throw up and I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but they were, they were making fun of each other. They were arguing with each other. They were calling each other pretty horrible names. They were suggesting all sorts of negative things about each other. And, uh, and the next day on the radio, I heard somebody interview a school teacher that taught junior high. And he said, you know, and this wasn't a Christian school teacher. <laughs> you know, I've got your kids in my class, and I'm trying to teach your students, your kids, that we treat each other well, we treat each other respectfully. We don't critique each other. We don't make fun of each other. We don't, we don't suggest anything about how tall or how big you are or anything like that. But then these kids, that, your children that I'm trying to teach these morality basically to, they go home at night and they sit with mom and dad and they watch the news and you watch the debates and they see that there's 15 men running for the presidency of the United States that spend an hour critiquing each other and making fun of each other. And your teacher, the teacher says, folks, you're not making my job very easy. And, and that was six years ago, but I remember very strongly. And, and that really hit me hard <laughs> that, you know, you, 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 you want me to teach you one thing, but then when you watch TV, they're saying precisely the opposite. So do work for Christian peace and growth. Chapter 14, verse 19, do whatever you need to to lead to peace and mutual edification. Chapter 15, verse 17 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. I want to say that again. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. In other words, Jesus has accepted you just the way you are with your foibles, with your personalities, with my foibles, with my personalities, with our sins, with our proclivities, with our weaknesses. Christ has accepted us. Therefore, Jesus says, accept each other. Accept each other. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. And also in another place, Jesus said, forgive each other just as Christ, God through Christ, has forgiven you. The theology of the Nazarene Church uh, came from pretty much from a man by the name of John Wesley that founded the Methodist Church as well. Uh, it was not John Wesley's uh, plan or desire to, uh, to start a new church. He was clergy in the Church of England, and uh, he, 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 he lived and died and, and served as a Church of England. But the people that followed him became uh, what's called as the Methodists. 
and uh, our theology is mainly from the Methodist Church. And I'm going to close with this statement from John Wesley, and it goes very well with this whole passage today. John Wesley said, if your heart is like my heart, then give me your hand. If your heart is like my heart, then give me your hand. Just to review, don't argue over non-essentials. Don't try to do God's job. Don't put obstacles in your brother's path. Positively do work for Christian peace and church growth. I'd like to pray and turn, and turn back over to the, to the gentleman. Father, we thank you again this, for this morning, and we thank you for this service time, and we thank you for these wonderful people. And Father, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy to live the Christian life. It's easy to become a Christian. It's easy to start the Christian life. It's, uh, it's easy to accept your forgiveness and salvation, and we thank you so much for that. But, but Father, once we are Christians, sometimes it can be a, a hard life to live. But we believe it's what you would have us to do, and we believe that it's a life that we, that we want, and it's a, we believe it's a life that we can do. And, and Father, so we, we do pray as we, as we listen to, uh, to sermons, as we listen to our pastors, as we listen to our Sunday school teachers, as we, as we read the Bible. We pray that you'll lead us and guide us and show us continually, Father, what you'd have us do to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask it this morning in your name.